example, immunization season. It's so much fun for the parents of young kids. I've got three myself and you know, each time as we're getting ready to go into school and we get the updated physicals and all that, it is so much fun to think, how many shots are they gonna get today? You know, parenting rule number one, never tell a child they're gonna get a shot when they go to the doctors. Takes us a half an hour to drive to the doctor from our house and it would be complete anxiety for the entire time. And then for the other half an hour in the doctor's office until they actually get the shot. Rule number two about parenting a young child, go back and memorize rule number one first. You know, it's amazing the verbal gymnastics I've done to get around that question, am I getting a shot? Sometimes anticipating a shot, anticipating pain, anticipating discomfort actually causes more anxiety than the actually getting the shot or actually going through whatever it might be. You ever been there? I know uh, maybe you know what it's like as a parent, if not as a child, but maybe you've experienced medical procedures or tough conversations where thinking about it and getting ready for it, your body can't tell if it's actually going through the stress yet or not. For me, when I was a kid, yeah, I'd never like getting shots, but it was the big one that stood out was the idea of getting hit by a fastball. You know, it took me as a baseball player three years to learn how to stand in the box, especially against an inside pitch, because I'd always flinch and I'd anticipate the sting of getting hit. And you know, over the years, I had been hit enough, and as a pitcher, I had hit enough batters uh, to know it doesn't feel real good, but the anticipation was almost always worse. By the time I'd get to first base, if I got hit, usually the pain was gone by that point. And as individuals and as a community, church, um, town, whatever it may be, anticipation can lock us up in fear. Especially when, as a church, Jesus himself gives us this promise out of Matthew 10, verse 22. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We don't mind the second half of that verse, the, the one who endures will be saved. But that first part, you will, people will hate you because of my name. That kind of, you know, what do we do with that? It's coming if it's not here already. How do we deal with it? Or as an even bigger picture, and I know this is probably the greatest way to start off a message, especially if any uh, non-Christians are, are seeing this. Why even become a Christian when you know that persecution awaits? When the head of the church itself says, you will be hated. Not you might be, you will be. It's kind of like signing up to be a human pincushion. Not, uh, it, uh, the, there doesn't seem to be a lot of logic to it. It's kind of like even signing, maybe there's a little bit of logic to this, but maybe it's also like signing up to be a first responder, a, fire, a firefighter, a, um, a police officer. It's like you get to, to day one of the academy or the training, it's like you're going to risk your life to save somebody who may never know your name. Now, there, there's, again, a place where logic just seems to fail us when we put the, those ideas together. And Paul in the New Testament, he tells his young protege, his young student, uh, a young guy who's, who's kind of learning how to take over as a pastor, he tells Timothy, and uh, a lot of this is coming out of 2 Timothy 3. This is verse 1. You must understand this. In the last days, stress, distressing times will come. And a little further down, he says, uh, in verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
will be persecuted. Doesn't that spark some hope or some, some joy? Persecution, literally to be hunted. It kind of paints a picture that, uh, or Paul paints a picture that the bad will become worse. You know, the people who are kind of living a, uh, an immoral lifestyle or a, a wild lifestyle are going to get worse and worse and worse. And living as a Christian is going to appear to be more and more subversive. How do we get through this? How do we exist, let alone thrive, in a world or a culture where this is the trajectory that we are, are taking? Well, through the fear of anticipation, let alone, you know, how do we face actual persecution itself if we end up facing it? When our faith is questioned or when life begins to feel like a B-rated zombie apocalypse, zombie apocalypse movie. Well, the good thing is, Paul's words to Timothy aren't just limited to facing persecution, but they can apply to many struggles that we experience just as human beings, whether we're Christians or not. He says in verse 14, the first part of it, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. This is in the first half of verse 14. Continue in what you have learned. We find out earlier, uh, as Paul is starting off this letter, that Tim has generations of teachers that have been pouring into him. He has his grandmother, his mother, Paul himself. And the idea, again, comes up a little bit later on. Um, but one point, of all the things that Timothy would have learned, remember, hang on to this. This would have been one of the things he learned many different things. But that this world and this life is not the end of the story. Again, I saw a guy with a shirt uh, when we were out at a, a museum this past weekend, said, the Christian life is work, but the retirement plan is unreal. It was really neat to get to see, uh, to see that randomly in the, out in uh, a museum. So why do we take hope in this? Because if we have trusted Jesus with our life and, and said, even in the midst of persecution, I'm going to follow you. Even when I'm being questioned or ridiculed, I'm going to still follow you then there's blessings that no persecutor can take away. Eternal life with a God who removes all persecution, all hate, all anger, all sin, all illness, all those things that so often when we experience them in life, they make us ask, why God? Why would you allow all these things into a world that you created? And it's kind of like I hear God sort of answering that question or that, that plea you know what? I hear you. I got you covered. You're just going to experience freedom from those things when you're in my presence. And you get there through my son, Jesus. As Paul, again, later says on in the, the latter part of verse 14, he says, remember, knowing from whom you learned it. Knowing from whom you learned it. Earlier, Paul says in verse 10, now you have observed my teaching, speaking of himself, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. But then he continues in a, a different letter, but same idea. He says, of all those things that you know, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So here's the thing. We are never called to figure all this out on our own. The idea of you know, how do we get through persecution? How do we get through tough times? How do we deal with suffering? How do we live the Christian life, especially when the Christian life is becoming more and more outcast? What do we do with the fear that we face? We are never meant to figure that out or to do it all on our own. 
not only were we never meant to figure it out, we were never meant to walk it alone. So here's the question that Paul is, is kind of answering. Who's influencing you? Who are you learning from? Whether by word or deed or just seeing it or hearing it or actually participating in life with them. Paul says, you've seen my walk, you've seen my talk. Here's a model to follow. I'm imitating Jesus, you imitate me. And to the point, <coughs> or to a point, for all his ministry resume, he had a persecution resume to match, both for doing persecution. You know, he was not the um, Jesus follower that he is, that he writes about being um, for all of his life. And he does write about the fact that he was the one who was doing the persecuting for many years and for being persecuted. You know, the things he went through as far as being jailed, being shipwrecked, being having murder attempts on him. You know, you want a brain bender for a long road trip? Figure out how God chose a guy like that to spread the gospel. Paul often writes about the warnings to the various churches that he's writing to and the various Christians that he's writing to. He, he writes warnings about false teachers kind of creeping in and sort of invading the, the community. And it's one reason to consider it, or one reason I consider it a blessing to have people around me as I teach that, you know, God forbid I ever were to, to drift from the gospel, they'd be the first ones to just whack me upside the head. Say, hey, what's up with this? Or at least explain where you're, you're coming with teaching the, this kind of thing or that kind of thing. So read widely, absolutely. Listen widely across a diverse amount of views, but discern nonetheless. Here's a last thing that Paul gives Timothy as a, a, a way through some of this persecution and the, the fear that it can create. He says in verse 15, And now from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Trust in a writing that instructs for salvation. Paul's like, you want to experience the life where uh, this isn't the end, where what we experience here on earth isn't the end, where the, where the retirement plan is unreal? Here's how. And I know you know this, Tim, but remember it through faith in Jesus Christ. See, it's not only um, here's heaven and that's it. You know, the Bible gives us um, ways not just to the next life, but through this one. It says in verse uh, 16 and 17, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Now here's the thing. It may take some practice learning how to apply the things that we read about in the Bible, in Paul's letters or in the Gospels, you know, as a general rule, it's kind of one passage, one meaning, but many applications, many different ways that it can fit into our life. But here's the good thing. The Bible is not just an instruction manual. You know, we often use uh, Bible as an acronym uh, in church, basic instructions before leaving earth. But it's more than just that. It's the story of God and his people. People who, like us, don't always get it right. And people who, like us, go through difficult times and struggles, even when it's God's people that we're talking about. And God, who, unlike us, never fails to be faithful. 
And in that dynamic, we can see God's track record for getting his people through. You know, it doesn't always happen as fast as we may want. Uh, we certainly, uh, we want it, we want it now, especially today. Or it may not happen the way we want or the way we think it's going to happen. Even today, it's not like we can transpose verbatim, well, God did this for the Israelites 3,000 years ago, so that's exactly how he's going to bless us today. It doesn't work out that way. You know, we're not talking so much about specifics, but rather the track record that reveals to us the character of God, the, the sort of undercurrent of how God works, rather than the particular actions of God. And when all else seems to fail, that can be the thing that helps us get, helps get us through. When we're walking by faith and not by sight, when we don't know what the next step looks like, we hang on to, well, God has done right by his people for all these generations. I can trust, even if I don't know how it's going to happen, that God's going to do the same thing here and now in whatever it is that we're dealing with. Whether it's persecution or suffering or any other multitude of things. So this week, and I give you this next step a bit early because though we're in the middle of October as we put this out, um, the next month, November, is actually like pray for the persecuted church month. But this week, pray for those who are in the church who are being persecuted. It happens in many different ways, um, some to extreme forms of, of torture and death and stuff like that. I pray certainly that um, nobody I know ever has to go through anything like that. Uh, I have I've known people who have gone into places where that sort of thing happens. Fortunately, they were able to, to make it out with their lives intact. But pray for those whose lives are literally on the line. Even if you're not sure about Jesus and what you think about him. Because I know that there are many people um, who may not buy into sort of all this Jesus business yet who desire kind of a life course of love, not hate, in our world. That they would rather hear, rather people practice love than practice hate. Well, there's real life people facing hate in many forms, who just happen to be Christian. People who are trying to offer hope to the world. And I think whatever our uh, faith beliefs are, we'd all agree the world needs a little bit of hope for uh, in these days. Pray for them. And let's see if we can't experience one more story where God shows up. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, for the fact that you are willing to constantly show up and to allow us, give us the strength to make it through whatever it is we're dealing with, whether it's suffering, whether it's persecution, even if it's just that in the hope that this world is not the end. So give us the strength, give us the courage, even when we face persecution of any kind, that we can still not be ashamed of your name. And bring that hope and that message of a relationship with you to those that you loved and who need it. All this we pray in your name. Amen.